0: Thank mm-hmm. Good evening, New Life Church. I am so glad that you are with us tonight. Whether you're joining us from the Modesto campus, welcome, Modesto. I see you on my phone. I was watching your worship earlier. It's a beautiful sight to see us worshiping in one accord. Or whether you're from the Lathrop campus here, amen, or from the online campus, or today we welcome our brand new, our newest campus, the launch gathering taking place right now in Decula, Georgia, suburb of Atlanta, Georgia. Come on now, give it up for Decula. All of you that are there, we're so proud of you for being there, for meeting together, and we pray that God's blessing will rest upon you. And of course, we're, we're championing also our Manteca campus and our Spanish campus that meet, meet later this weekend. I want to start off today uh, as time is, is short, but I've got a lot that I want to share with you that the Lord has been dealing with me. We are gonna go on a journey, all of our campuses, on a journey starting today. Now, I'm not introducing a series of messages because a series of messages typically takes a portion of scripture or a book from the Bible and we go through it and we kind of dissect it and look at it. This is a theme we're going to be exploring a theme for the summer. For the next eight weeks, we're going to be taking a look through different types of messages, maybe even a series within the theme. Just kind of roll with this. But the theme that we're looking at for the next eight weeks is the theme of healing, of healing. We're going to look at you being healed physically and emotionally and spiritually and relationally and financially and socially and every possible way. But today, I want to start off with a unique way of looking at this theme of healing. So I'm going to need the people that are here with me to participate. Can you say yes? Yes. And I'm going to need the people that are in Tequila, Georgia, to participate with me. Can you say yes? And I'm going to need the people in Modesto to participate with me. Can you say yes? Praise the Lord. Here we go. How many of you participating by raising hands wherever you're at, how many of you have ever done something that you're really ashamed of. Yeah, hands are going up all over the place. Now I need you to turn to your neighbor and tell them what it No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. Don't have to tell anybody what it was. But we've all done something that we're really ashamed of. And so what we're going to do is, is, first of all, I want you to understand that shame is the strongest unhealthy driver in most people's lives. Shame. We need to be healed of unhealthy shame in our lives. And so today we're going to talk about being healed from the shame that you. Field. And so what's interesting to me, if, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, all the way back to the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, you go back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were at. And in the, in the second chapter of the book of Genesis, you kind of see this powerful example of life before shame and then the tragedy of life before after shame. See, you've got Adam and Eve that are in this in the garden, and and at the very end of chapter two, there's this oftentimes overlooked verse, kind of tucked in there. It's the very, very last verse in Genesis chapter two, verse number twenty-five. If you're not careful, you, you you'll miss it. Here, let me read it to you. The man, that's Adam, and his wife, that's Eve, were both naked, and they felt no shame. The man and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. This is incredible to me, not, not the naked part, but, but, but the, the, the no shame part. Because you've got this couple who should feel extremely vulnerable, right? They they should feel maybe that vulnerability that you would feel when you don't have any clothes on, right? But there's no sense of embarrassment. There's nothing to hide. There's nothing weighing them down. They were both naked, the Bible says, and they felt no shame. That was before the curse. No shame was before sin entered the world. Then the serpent came, we know, and and he tempted them to disobey God and sin entered the world. Let me be very clear. They sinned. They sinned. I say sinned with emphasis because we live in a culture today that says it's politically incorrect. Don't tell me, Troy, that I have sinned. It may be politically incorrect, but it is biblically correct because we have a very holy and righteous and perfect God, and anytime we don't live up to his standards, we fall short, that's what the Bible calls sin, and will address the elephant in your life and in mine, not to make you feel bad, but to draw you into the light, and, and when Adam and Eve sinned, they immediately felt this deep-seated sense of shame. So much so that the Bible says they covered themselves up and they went into hiding, not because, not because of what they did that was bad, but because they had a feeling that, that who they are was now bad. There is a difference between between guilt, um, guilt, uh, and, and and shame. And I want to help us understand that so that we have kind of this baseline as we're moving ahead in this message. So there's a difference between guilt and, and, and shame. Guilt is, is what I'm going to call um, action-based, but shame is identity-based, uh, what, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad, glad that you asked the question. Uh, Action-based is, is I, I did something. Uh, here we go. I, I did something. Uh, bad. We'll just put in the word bad for now. Um, that, that's what guilt says, it get, it, I, is I did something bad. Shame says I am bad. Do you see the difference? Guilt, you should feel guilty when you do something wrong. You, you should. And, and not stay there, but that should draw us into repentance, into asking for forgiveness or moving into reconciliation, trying to restore a relationship. I mean, when you do something wrong, that's, your actions are wrong, you need to identify, I blew it. I blew it. But, but shame says when you blow it, you, you, you didn't do something bad. You are, you are. Bad. You didn't do something wrong. You are. Or you are wrong. You didn't do something dirty. You are dirty. We feel guilty for what we did, but, but we feel ashamed for who we are. I have no idea what it might be that causes you in Decula, in Modesto, or here in Lathrop, or online. I have no idea what it might be for you that causes you to feel shame. But here's what I do know. Everybody struggles with feeling ashamed from time to time. It might be your secret. Right now you're hoping that I'm not going to look you in the eyes. It it might be your financial debt that you don't want anybody to know about. It, It might be your sexual past. It might be your sexual problems right now in the present. It might be the addiction you don't want anybody to know that you struggle with. And it might be that thing that you did years ago that you hope nobody ever, ever finds out about. Because of, and because of what you did, because of what you did, your spiritual enemy tries to connect, Satan tries to connect what you did, the action with who you are, with how you see yourself. And you start to believe, well, I am defective. I I am damaged, I am broken, I am flawed, I am dirty, I am impure, I am disgusting. And because of what you did, the devil continues to whisper for years, years, years into your life. you're, You're unlovable, you're weak, you're pitiful, you're insignificant, you're unworthy, you are so unwanted. For years, he hammers you at this stuff. And without knowing it, He's slippery, he's slimy he's sleuth. Without knowing it We can take something that we did Or even something that happened to us And we wrongly connect it With our identity With who we are And we start to live With shame-based thinking right. Guys, this is huge yes. We need to be healed of this Amen. This can tremendously influence your life can me give you, I'm gonna take five minutes or less and give you three ways that sh- this shame-based thinking can influence your life. When, when, when you live with shame-based thinking, we're vulnerable to perfectionism. Oh, you know, you know somebody who does this. Maybe you don't do this, but you know somebody who does. This is when we try to silence our shame with a perfect performance, And and we find it really difficult to admit any kind of failure in our life. You want to cover up your shame with perfectionism. You got to be the best. You got to do the best. Or how about this one? When we live with shame-based thinking, we're often critical of ourselves. And because when we're critical of ourselves, it drives us to become critical of other people. Oftentimes, the most critical people around us are those dealing with the most shame because people who are struggling with shame tend to shame other people. It's like hurting people hurt people and and, and shamed people shame people. And and what ends up happening is we hate the very, the the sin in other people. Why do we hate that sin in other people? Because we hate the same sin in us and we're critical of ourselves. So because we're critical of ourselves, we're going to be critical. We're gonna be critical of other people. How about this one? When when we live with shame-based thinking, we lower our expectations so we're just not going to be disappointed. We sabotage opportunities in our lives. We sabotage relationships because of our shame. We start telling ourselves, well, you know, they're only going to reject me. So when Pastor... Keisha or when, 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 when Brad and Decula or, or, or Craig or, or, or when, when Everett or Mark and Modesto, when, when, when you're challenged to, hey, grab somebody, have a conversation, pray with somebody, go out to coffee, schedule lunch this week with somebody, start developing relationships, our shame keeps us from doing that because we're like, they're only going to reject me anyway. And so we don't risk entering into a relationship because we're so full of shame ourselves. That we feel unlovable. We have decided that's our identity. Or how about this one? I, I, I'm always gonna fail because bad things always happen to me. And so I'm just never gonna try anything new. Man, that is not my DNA. Like, risk it all, right? Uh, just go for it. But I'm bumping into so many people that I can't, it doesn't, it blows my mind that we're just not willing to take a risk in our lives. Because we're so full of shame and doubt and insignificance. When you're riddled with shame, what am I saying? I'm saying you become a perfectionist or you become very critical or you become very hopeless. It's one, two, or all three of those when you're struggling with shame. So if you find yourself dealing with, struggling with perfectionism, you need to be perfect and everybody needs to be perfect, your kids need to be perfect, your house needs to be perfect. If you're struggling with that or you're a very critical person and you just see the negative in everybody and everything around you or if you're hopeless, it'll never be, it should never be, it won't ever be, not to me, then you're probably dealing with shame in your life and you need to be healed of that. That is not God's plan for your life. It is a tactic and a tool and a weapon in the arsenal of the enemy. Uh, Shame ultimately makes us feel like this. Uh, I'm never enough. I will never be enough. I'll never measure up. I'm always deficient. I'm always lacking. Here's what's interesting. New life. New life. Everybody, swallow. Just swallow. Now take a deep cleansing breath. (sighs) Anytime you think something bad about yourself... There's probably a little bit of truth in it. I'm never gonna be good enough. True statement. Welcome to New Life, where we make you feel good about yourself, right? Hey, <laughs> glad you're with us today. What I'm trying to say is, we are inadequate we are not good enough. We're gonna be rude and selfish and fill in the blank. There's probably truth to all of that. Why? Because we've all sinned, Romans 3, and and fallen short of the glory of God. The problem, here's the problem. Y'all with me, dial in for a second. Here's the deal. The problem is, as long as you are focused on you, you will always be vulnerable to shame. Let me say it again. As long as you're focused on you, you will always be vulnerable to shame. You'll always be vulnerable to shame. Why? Because you are not enough. Maybe you remember the story in the Old Testament about God's people, the children of Israel, who were tragically um, uh, put into slavery for some 430 years. So we have this, 430 years is like a long time. So we have this generation after generation after generation of people that are born as slaves. All they know is I'm a slave. I feel worthless. I feel invaluable. I, I am, my life is nothing. And so for 430 years, day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year, they believe the lie. You are not valuable whatsoever. And then, oh, then this, this the turn of the story, this climactic kind of part, the, the part of the movie that you always love. Charlton Heston steps up. You know what I'm talking about, right? And there's part of this movie that God raises up Moses, who says, "Let my people go," and God miraculously delivers his people from this slavery. The tragedy of the story is this: they were outwardly free, but inwardly they were still slaves. They were. Out of slavery, but slavery wasn't out of them. That's like so many of you. Lathrop, Decula, Modesto, online. It's like so many of you. I get it. You've been freed, you've been forgiven by Jesus, you've given your heart to Jesus, you've accepted his forgiveness, but you haven't accepted his healing. So some of you are still slaves to the same shame. It's not true about you. And that's why the only way to heal from your shame is to move your focus from whom I'm not to who Jesus is. Uh, It's to take the focus off of me entirely and put the focus on to Jesus. Because some of you, although you've been forgiven by Jesus and he doesn't hold a single thing against you and he remembers your sins no more, he intentionally casts them into the sea of forgetfulness. But you're still living with and consumed by and driven by this shame-based thinking. You're believing that you're something evil and vile and wicked and you're not. According to God Almighty, you're not. Hebrews chapter 12, powerful verse speaks to this a little bit. I really want you to get this. Done. It's Jesus. It speaks of Jesus on the cross preparing to give his life for you and me. And Hebrews 12, chapter 12, verse number two says, for the joy set before him, that's talking about Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you catch those words? Three little words in color on your screen. Scorning its shame. Okay, I need you to get this. Every fiber of Jesus, every part of heaven in flesh loathed, I mean, hated, scorned, despised, the shame, the shame that robs people from intimacy with God. From the very beginning, now God, don't get me wrong, God hates sin, right? But he loves the sinner. Yeah, you gotta separate that out. God hates what we've done, but he doesn't hate you. It's just the opposite. He loves you so much that he wants to rectify and reconcile you from what you've done. Amen. That is a loving, awesome, wonderful God. Amen. And you can't outlive, outrun, or outlast his grace. Amen. His grace is greater than anything you can fill in the blank. Hallelujah. And some people, from the beginning of time, God has always hated this thing called shame. Now, he hates sin, so we got to deal with our sin, but... I'm talking about when you've been forgiven of your sins and you've asked God to help you and to free you and to forgive you, but you can't stop living as if that sin defines who you are. You're living a shame-based existence. God hated shame in the garden. He hated how Adam and Eve felt when they had sinned. He didn't like the sin. He dealt with them. There was a consequence for it, but he hated how they felt. Why are you hiding? You don't need to hide. I've been walking with you in the coolness of the night. I am with you. I will always be with you, God says. He hated the shame when David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now, David had a consequence to his sin. We always do. Can God be mocked? Galatians 6, 4, no. A man reaps what he sows, but God hates the shame that's associated with your sin. He despised it when Peter denied him three times, but he didn't hate Peter. He loved Peter enough to say, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? And he reinstated Peter to become one of the greatest hallmarks of the Christian faith. He loathed it when Judas betrayed him. Not only what Judas did, but God's desire was never for Judas to go take his own life. Not at all. God hates loathes, despises the shame that Satan tries to put into our lives. And in the very same way, God scorns the shame that crushes your soul and kills your joy. He despises the shame that you feel from your lies and your hidden eating habits and your secret sexual sin. He loathes the shame you feel from your financial failures and your deepest secrets and your darkest Hurts. He scorns the shame of how you feel when you look at the wrong thing or you think the wrong thought or you say the wrong words. That He hates the shame that you endure because of what you said, because of what you did, because of what maybe you didn't do that you should have done. He despises the shame that you feel from your self-doubt and your self-hatred. He scorns the shame of what you felt like back then and what you feel like even today. Man, I hope you... I hope you are getting this today. I hope you're understanding what I'm talking about when I'm talking about and speaking on this subject of, of, of shame. Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh, the Son of God, was stripped down naked, placed upon an instrument of torture called the cross. And his creation, the people that he loved that's you and me, mocked him, and cursed him, and spit on him, and in this moment, Jesus looked, in this moment, Jesus looked at the shame, I want this chair to represent, personify, a a, a being, if you will, called shame, and Jesus looked, he looked at that shame, and he stared at the shame, and he gave focus to the shame, and when he did, he he said, I despise you, shame, He's hanging on the cross. You are nothing to me. Shame. My father sent me to seek and to save the lost. My God gave me a purpose to give my life as a ransom for many. And shame, you have no power over me. You have no power. You have no jurisdiction. You can't distract me. You can't discourage me. And you can't defeat me. Shame, I am putting you on notice. You're just about done. And then Jesus Christ in his final breath looks up to heaven and says, Father, Daddy God, into your hands, I commit my spirit, it is finished. And the Lamb of God gave his life for the forgiveness of our sins. And when he breathed his last breath, the Bible says that the earth shook and everything went dark and day one people waited day two they lost hope day three i guess he wasn't who they said that he was but on that third day when a couple of ladies went out early in the morning to go check on that grave the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty and jesus was not there he had risen, and because of his death and his resurrection, we can be made new, and we can be healed of our shame. We don't have to be there any longer. There is, no, there is no more shame because of the resurrection of Jesus. Somebody, somebody may have told you, shame on you. I know the devil has told you over and over again, shame on you. But God says... But God Almighty says, shame off you. There's no shame on you anymore. It may be a tactic of the devil, but God says, shame off you. I came to tell somebody today, because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done, you are worthy of love. The cross of Jesus Christ was for you. The empty tomb was for you. Jesus looked. Here's what happened. He looked. He pierced through time and through space. And he looked some 2,000 years into the future. And I believe that he saw you here today knowing what you've done and the shame that you have endured. And for the joy set before him, he conquered shame to set you free. And that is what gave him joy. Jesus endured the shame of the cross, scorning it so that he could tell you, you are not what you did. You are not who they say you are. You are not even who you think you are. You're not what someone did to you. You are who Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the risen savior says you are. And I declare to you today that he says, if you are in him, you are free, you are forgiven, you are changed, you are redeemed, you are blessed, you are complete, you are chosen, you are accepted and you are healed. So no more shame no more shame, no more shame. Shame off you. There's no more shame, not in this house. There's no more shame in this house. There's no more shame in Modesto. There's no more shame in Tequila. There's no more shame. There's no more shame. No more shame. Mighty, mighty God, we come together tonight and we bow our hearts today in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that when you died upon the cross, You didn't just die so we could be forgiven, although we thank you for that. You died so that we could be free. When you said, it is finished, it was so complex. Part of what was finished was just scorn the shame, despise the shame, not just the shame that you were supposed to experience, but the shame that's being held over our heads. Day in and day out by the enemy of our souls, and so I know, I know that across our family of churches, that there are many people that are struggling with this shame thing. They've asked for forgiveness, it felt so ashamed, it felt so ashamed that what's happened is it's become a cycle. Instead of living that free life, they've returned to the same sinful mannerisms and choices that they've done so many times before because. Their identity is found in the shame. Satan hasn't just tempted them to do it again, but he's convinced them that that what they're doing is who they are. And what a lie. What a lie. So God, we bring that truth, and we bring it out of the darkness of our hearts, and we bring it out into the light, and we give it to you today. We ask God for you to do a miraculous work inside of each and every one of us. So friends, you earlier, with your eyes closed, heads bowed, Earlier I asked how many of you have done something you really feel ashamed of. So many of you raised your hands and I'm sure there were some of you that just couldn't bring yourself to raise your hand. This is an opportunity for you to be really touched by God. Not by Troy and not by a church but by the God who gave his only son to die upon a cross scorning its shame so we don't have to live a shame-based life any longer. So if you're struggling with shame, you're ashamed of your past, you're ashamed of what you've done or ashamed of what you thought, you're ashamed of what you did so long ago or you're ashamed of what you're still doing. Maybe you're ashamed of what somebody else did to you. I'm telling you, it's covered by, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, meaning that he is here to strengthen you, to forgive you and to deliver you. So if you've been struggling with that, I'm gonna pray for you right now. Would you just slip your hand up all over these campuses in Tecula, here in Lathrop, in Modesto? I've been struggling with shame and I don't care if anybody sees my hand because they probably are too. Maybe you find yourself in a, your, your perfectionism or you're, you're very critical or, or, you're, or you're dealing with this, this ongoing pressure in your life. Do you just feel like you just can't be good enough struggling in your life? You want God to help you with the shame. Mighty God, you see the hands and more importantly, you know the hearts. I ask God that you'd strengthen and deliver and renew and encourage. Mighty God, would you help us? We want to be healed of shame. No longer are we listening to the voice that says shame on you, but we're hearing the voice of God. And from this moment on, it's shame off you. Heal us, we pray. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes still closed for just a moment, honoring God in this sacred moment, I got to wonder that here in Lathrop or in Tequila or in Modesto or online. I got to wonder if there's not a few folks that are listening today that you're far from God. And quite honestly, you couldn't even define why you're in church today, but you are. You just find yourself here. Maybe you were curious or you're looking on or you wanted to be a part of, but you know that your life is not lining up with what God desires for you. So my question for you today is aren't you ready to give your life to God? Aren't you ready to submit your life to Jesus Christ? He's been chasing you and pursuing you. It's been divinely orchestrated and ordered of Almighty God that at this moment, this time on this day, that you're to be right here hearing this message. He wants you to know I love you with an everlasting love and I've never given up on you and I will never give up on you and I will chase you to the ends of the earth because I gave my life once for you and I don't have to give my life again. All you have to do is receive my love. And if you're ready to receive his love, come back to God. I'm going to count to three. And no matter which campus you're at, I want you to put your hand up victoriously. One. Two, come on now, three Put that hand up and say God I'm ready to come back to you Come on now, I know, I know there's people I'm ready to give my life back to you I am not ashamed of the gospel If your hand is lifted up Wherever you're at, just pray this prayer Jesus forgive me, come into my heart Save my soul I give my life to you afresh and anew Help me to live for you all the days of my life Jesus, I love you And I'm committed to you in Jesus name, in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. And amen.